When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Can you guys hear me okay? Yeah. Okay, great. Youssef Munayer is Palestinian-American based in Washington, D.C., He has family and friends that he's been trying to keep in touch with in Gaza, but that's been an almost impossible task. It's extremely terrifying, especially because by this point, you've probably lost contact with your loved ones because communications have been effectively cut off. Electricity has been cut off fuel for backup generators to provide electricity has been cut off. So, you know, people are glued to their television screens now, um, uh, watching what is taking place in the Gaza Strip, um, perhaps even watching the airstrikes that are uh, killing their families. And, and they may not know for days or weeks about, um, about what, is, what has happened to them. Youssef leads the Palestine-Israel program at Arab Center Washington, D.C., where he focuses on U.S. policy towards the region. He's very clear that for Palestinians in Gaza, this is not their first war or second war. He says people living there have become accustomed to Israeli airstrikes. So much so that oftentimes they can identify from the sound that they hear in the sky, whether the Israeli jet that's dropping ordinance is an F-14 or an F-16 or something else. Um, it's, it's an existence that is so foreign to us who do not live in a war zone. And given all of that, what I'm hearing from people on the ground is that this is more horrific than anything that they've ever experienced before. Since Hamas attacked Israeli citizens on October 7th and took almost 200 hostages, including children, Israel unleashed an assault on the Gaza Strip. You can hear the desperation of this young woman, Tala. She's 21. I have only one question. We as civilians, where are we supposed to go? She sent this dispatch from Gaza to Slate reporter Eamon Ismail. We went to schools, they bombed schools. We went to the south, they bombed the south. We went to hospitals, they bombed the hospitals. It's a massacre. Palestinians in Gaza were told to move south, but there have still been airstrikes on southern cities. People lack access to food, water, and medicine, and like Yusuf said, to electricity. The suffering in Gaza was made worse this week when a blast struck a hospital, killing hundreds. Hamas blamed Israel for the hospital attack, but Israeli and American intelligence said it appeared to come from another Palestinian militant group. And as the agony in Gaza reached a new pitch, President Biden landed in Tel Aviv. I come to Israel with a single message. You're not alone. You are not alone. 
The president offered unwavering support to the country in its fight against Hamas in the form of military assets and a promise to keep the Iron Dome supplied. And he pledged aid to Palestinians in Gaza and the West Bank. Palestinian people are suffering greatly as well. We mourn the loss of innocent Palestinian lives like the entire world. But there's been no deviation from the idea that war must go on. And Yusuf Munayr has been watching things unfold with horror. The pace of killing that we are seeing on the ground is unprecedented in, in the history of, of Israel's bombardments uh, in Gaza. Uh, there is no justification in a war like this uh, because uh, the, the people who are going to suffer the most uh, are, are always going to be the people who have the least to do with anything. Today on the show, the situation in Gaza and the region. It's getting worse, and the U.S. is becoming further entangled in it. I'm Yasmin Khan, in for Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next? Stick around. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Can you share any details of what you're hearing from friends and family there? I don't know if you're getting texts or if you're speaking to anyone by phone. You know, information is difficult to get. People are trying to conserve whatever battery they may have. Right. Connection to, uh, you know, uh, cellular networks is very limited. Sometimes you may get a text message from people on the ground saying alive. Hmm. And that message may have been sent two days ago. People are trying to charge their phones off of, of car batteries. And then in the hours that go by where you don't get that message, you wonder why. Um, what does that mean? Are they still there? Uh, and so, you know, it's, um, it's impossible. It's impossible. No, no, no people should have to be subjected to this. And the people of Gaza have been subjected to this over and over again. And the only thing the world has told them is that there is no other option but this. Do Gazans have any options for safety anywhere at the moment? No, they, they don't. Um, there, there are Palestinians in Gaza who have been killed. And then there are Palestinians in Gaza who feel that they are going to be imminently killed. That's it. And again, this is not um, new in terms of what we've seen when there is bombardment of the space on a, on a repeated basis. Every time there is a war like this on Gaza, the Israeli military tells people, hey, you can go here, hey, you can go there. And people who followed those orders have been killed in airstrikes on those places. And everybody in Gaza who has lived through this, of course, remembers those things. Um, and so, you know, they, they uh, clearly uh, cannot trust anything the Israeli military is saying. 
usually Israeli officials seek to maintain a, a, a pretense of concern uh, for civilian life. Uh, but um, they feel that in this moment, uh, they have the international support to carry out whatever it is that they want to do in the Gaza Strip, which, by the way, um, are different than what we've seen in the past. So you've seen a shift in their actual language. I've watched this time and time again. I've seen the statements of Israeli officials uh, around uh, their military operations in 2008, in 2012, in 2014, in 2018, in 2021. There is a, a, a clear shift in the way that they are speaking about this. When reporters have asked them about civilian casualties this time around, and what about those Palestinians in hospital who uh, are on life support and babies and incubators whose uh, life support and incubator will have to be turned off because the Israelis have cut the power to Gaza? Are you seriously keep on asking me about Palestinian civilians? What's, what's wrong with you? Have you not seen what happened? We're fighting Nazis. That's not the normal line from Israeli officials. And when you pair that with uh, the language uh, from the defense minister about Palestinians being human beasts, uh, the language from the Israeli prime minister about Palestinians being the children of darkness, um, and then you pair that with the actual policies of cutting off uh, the basic needs for sustaining human life like water and electricity and fuel uh, in a place like Gaza, um, in an indiscriminate way, targeting everybody there. You know, this is this is the kind of language that precedes mass atrocities, and mass atrocities are taking place in Gaza. How would you describe Israel's military strategy right now, if there is one? Gaza is a problem that nobody has wanted to deal with, uh, and they'd rather it just disappear. The Israeli Prime Minister Yitzhak Rabin in 1992 long before the, you know, the current realities in Gaza, said that, you know, I, I wish I could wake up one day and just see Gaza disappear into the sea. You can take at face value some of the um, statements from Israeli officials about what their strategy has been. Um, historically, they have uh, dealt with Gaza in the last uh, decade and a half or so, uh, with this approach that they call mowing the lawn, hmm. uh, which means that uh, effectively they see periodic bombardment as a form of maintenance that uh, they must apply uh, to Gaza to maintain some kind of deterrence. Um, and so uh, there is a assumed inevitability to having to, to bomb again and again and again. Um, and each time, uh, of course, uh, they, they do this, um, it clearly does not solve the problem. Um, so I think there is a recognition now uh, that that approach has clearly failed uh, and failed in a massive way. Um, and so uh, what we are seeing now is either a new Israeli strategy that has uh, not yet been made clear to the public, or perhaps even scarier, the complete absence of strategy altogether, which I think is far more likely, uh, and uh, nothing but unmitigated vengeance uh, against a civilian population 
from a state that is uh, enraged uh, and and at the same time dysfunctional. Um, and and the, the, the scariest thing about this is that, of course, as it continues, um, and we are starting to see this now, uh, we uh, should expect the significant possibility of it becoming a much broader regional war. Mowing the lawn is a chilling term. It is. It is. And, and it's, um, you know, it, it's used repeatedly um, to, to describe this as if it's some sort of, um, you know, normal thing to refer uh, to, uh, you know, a space where there's two million people, half of them children. And I would say, too, you know, um, what morality is there in military operations that will inevitably kill civilians and, and, and usually kill more civilians than anything else, whose repetition is pre-planned? Uh, this, this, this is a, it's a failure of policy and vision and strategy, but, but it's one that has been accepted and tolerated not just by Israel, but, but by Israel's strongest supporters, including here in the United States. After the break, Biden visits Israel in a show of support, but leaders from Jordan, Egypt, and Palestine cancel meetings with him. So what should the president do to help stabilize the region? President Biden was in Tel Aviv just yesterday, pledging that Israel would have what it needed to protect itself. For decades... We've ensured Israel's qualitative military edge. And later this week, I'm going to ask the United States Congress for an unprecedented support package for Israel's defense. We're going to keep Iron Dome fully supplied so we can continue standing sentinel over Israeli skies, saving Israeli lives. What message does this visit send in your mind? Well, um, it, it depends to what audience. Uh, you know, to the Israelis, it's clearly a, a message that says, uh, I'm here to, to back you and do whatever it is you want to do. And that's a message, of course, that was sent not just with the presidential visit, but with arms that were supplied to Israel um, uh, and with aircraft carriers that have been sent to the region as well. The world will know that Israel is, Israel is stronger than ever. And my message to any state or any other hostile actor Thinking about attacking Israel remains the same as it was a week ago. Don't. 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 To Palestinians and to the rest of the Arab and Muslim world, which is enraged right now over what Israel is doing to Gaza, um, it sends the message that Biden simply doesn't care about them. He doesn't care about their perspectives. Um, He doesn't care about how the United States is seen in the region. He doesn't care about what American allies in the region have been telling him, including the allies who were supposed to meet with him and then canceled their their meetings that were scheduled with him to take place. And that, I think, is devastating, not just for the region, not just for the people in Gaza, but also for American credibility uh, that, you know, is going to have reverberations outside of the region as well. Uh, including in places like uh, Ukraine, where you know the United States has been trying to rally more 
uh, support from the global south that's always looked at the American position with a degree of skepticism. Um, and it's just, uh, it's, it's uh, dangerous, it's irresponsible, and it's horrifying. Yeah. How do you think this visit is changed by the fact that Biden will only be meeting with Netanyahu now? Well, look, it's a tremendous embarrassment for the United States. Um, you know, the, the Jordanians, uh, the Egyptians, um, Mahmoud Abbas or the Palestinian Authority, you have to remember, these are all American allies. Mm -hmm. uh, these are governments that, that are supported by the United States. Their militaries are financed by the United States. Um, and the American president is getting on a plane uh, and coming to the region to meet with you, and you cancel your meeting with him. You know, this is a massive embarrassment for Biden, who was taking a tremendous political risk by attempting this to begin with. I think he's been significantly um, misadvised on this issue. Hmm. Yeah, you tweeted that you've come to the conclusion that Biden was totally unprepared for and not capable of dealing with this crisis. Absolutely. I mean, when his national security advisor to, you know, 10 days before this started is talking about the Middle East. The Middle East region is quieter today than it has been in two decades. Now, challenges remain. Iran's nuclear weapons program, the tensions between Israelis and Palestinians. But the amount of time that I have to spend on crisis and conflict in the Middle East today compared to any of my predecessors going back to 9-11 is significantly reduced. You know, you, you, you have to wonder um, what sort of advice the president is getting, um, who he's listening to and who he trusts in this uh, moment. And, uh, you know, America's entire approach to the region, by the way, this is not just about this moment. This is about the approach that they have taken over months and, and, and since the beginning of this administration has been to effectively follow the Jared Kushner School of Foreign Policy hmm. and uh, attempt to continue this process of normalizing uh, relations between Israel and Arab countries. We heard a lot of um, reporting around the, the amount of time the United States has invested in, in this process with Saudi Arabia just in the, the, the days and weeks before all of this started. And, you know, so many people who know the region have been explaining to American policymakers that you cannot ignore the centrality of Palestine in this region. If you do, the region is going to explode. The results are on full display now. Biden's speech from Tel Aviv was simultaneously steadfast in its support for Israel, while also mentioning the need for its ally to protect civilians and ensure access to humanitarian aid. People of Gaza need food, water, medicine, shelter. Today, I asked the Israeli cabinet, who I met with for some time this morning, to agree to the delivery of life-saving humanitarian assistance to civilians in Gaza, based on the understanding that there will be inspections and that the aid should go to civilians, not to Hamas. When I asked Youssef if he thought Biden's visit might help advance those objectives, he took a step back. I think we are making a mistake by thinking about the stakes of this visit as being narrowly focused on what is happening in Gaza. The regional implications of what is taking place can very quickly bring the entire region into war and can draw the United States into war as well. Hmm. 
a lot of that depends on what is happening on the Gaza Strip in the Gaza Strip, and one would hope that uh, an American president uh, who has his finger on the trigger uh, and is bringing aircraft carriers into the region uh, understands the stakes of what allowing an Israeli military operation in Gaza actually amount to. And so, you know, I, I would hope that the president is delivering messages to the Israelis that this has to stop, that the stakes here are much bigger than anything between Israel and Hamas, um, and that uh, every moment that goes by this going forward is a moment where both Israel and the United States will have less leverage, less credibility, and less control over where things go from there. That's the only responsible message that I think could be sent by Biden right now. The public messaging suggests that it's not that at all. I do wonder what you what what you are hoping to see in in terms of of stemming the crisis there right now in in the immediate. What what can be done? We need an immediate ceasefire. That's the 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 most important thing. Um, it's, 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 it's not enough to say, uh, we want to send humanitarian aid to people because we care about them while we're dropping bombs on them. It, it doesn't work like that. We need an immediate ceasefire. Um, this is the, this is the, uh, most important and most direct way to save human life now. Um, and frankly, uh, it will probably, uh, allow for, for, for time and cooler heads to prevail to try to prevent a much bigger conflagration in the region that will make what's taking place in Gaza right now seem peaceful in comparison. So I think this is the most uh, urgent concern and need right now to to get an immediate ceasefire. The United Nations is calling for it. Mm -hmm. Um, Others have called for it uh, as well. Um, but it's, it's, I think, the most prudent course of action right now. Thank you very much for your time and all of your patient explanations. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Youssef Munayer is the head of the Palestine-Israel program at Arab Center, Washington, D.C. That's the show. If you're a fan of What Next, the best way to support our work is to join Slate Plus, Go to slate.com slash whatnextplus to sign up. What Next is produced by Elena Schwartz, Rob Gunther, Anna Phillips, Paige Osborne, and Madeline Ducharme. We also had help from Slate's Eamon Ismael. We're led by Alicia Montgomery with a little help from Susan Matthews. Ben Richmond is the Senior Director of Podcast Operations here at Slate. And I'm Yasmin Khan, in for Mary Harris. Find me on Twitter. I'm at Yasmin Khan. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.